So this morning, I want to begin a new um, series of messages, and I've entitled this series, The Trouble with Christmas. But before we get into that, um, we have a little video here to introduce our series. I wanted, um, I wanted someone who's, who's well known to us to come and introduce our series to us this morning. So if we could have the lights and the video, please. shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Linus is right. I won't let all this commercialism ruin my Christmas. I'll take this little tree home and decorate it. And I'll show them it really will work in our play. dog is not going to ruin my Christmas. I've killed it. Oh, everything I touch gets ruined. a bad little tree. It's not bad at all, really. Maybe it just needs a little love. Charlie Brown is a blockhead, but he did get a nice tree. So I'm sure many of you are familiar with Charlie Brown, right, and his Christmas, um, his Christmas story there. Um, it's a classic for us. But uh, like I said this morning, I want to start, um, begin for us a series of messages entitled The Trouble with Christmas. And, you know, Charlie Brown sure had a lot of trouble with Christmas, didn't he? I mean, he wanted it to be a time of joy. He wanted Christmas to be what, in his mind, it was supposed to be. He seemed to be always searching for the perfect Christmas, but instead, he was always disappointed, even to the point of becoming depressed. And he couldn't figure out what the trouble with Christmas really was until eventually Linus pointed him to the real meaning of Christmas, the Bible story, and eventually we saw how Linus rescued his little tree. Well, I know if I threw out the question this morning, what is the trouble 
with Christmas. What's the trouble with Christmas? Many of us would respond much as did Charlie Brown. We might complain about how commercialized Christmas has become. Some of us would talk about how Christmas pushes us to spend more money than we would like to or how it seems to sap our time and our energy. Um, some might, might complain about, well, not enough people are saying Merry Christmas, they say Happy Holidays, you know. Well, that's nothing new, is it, you know? We might talk about how many of us have been striving to create the perfect Christmas, but how that kind of Christmas seems to never come, and thus we are often left disappointed and even depressed by Christmas. But so many people are often let down by the reality of their Christmases. You know, they look forward to the the warmth of the fireplace, the little kids opening their presents on Christmas morning, the family gathered around a table, a candlelight Christmas Eve service followed by, by a walk home or even a sleigh ride home in the gentle snow. It seems like we've done a really good job at romanticizing Christmas as we Well, maybe we try to recreate something out of a Dickens story, a Victorian-style Christmas. And we've even turned the biblical Christmas story into a, a soft, romantic night as we sing about a silent night, a baby in a manger that never cries, a procession of shepherds and, and, and wise men who all show up at the barn at the same time, at just the right time, right on cue, so that our, nati our nativity sets can be properly put into place. The reality is, however, so many people find themselves alone on Christmas morning. The money to buy the gifts has, well, it's just run out. The family dinner spirals downward into some sort of family conflict. And it's, it's, it's not all that uncommon for us to dream of the perfect Christmas, only to find ourselves in the midst of a Christmas that's filled with trouble. And then you add to our personal troubles all the trouble that we find in the world around us. I mean, what will Christmas be like in the midst of a pandemic? Or after a year like 2020 with all the strife and divisions we've experienced, you know, the stress and anxiety that we've had, what will Christmas be like this year? Will we be able to celebrate Christmas the way we think it ought to be celebrated? And what about those who right now are maybe facing war in their homeland? Those who are on the run, just trying to salvage their lives. Those who are trying to maybe recover from hurricanes or devastating fires or any number of natural disasters. How does one celebrate Christmas in the midst of such trouble? And so in this series of messages, I want to speak to us about the trouble with Christmas. And as we'll see, that first Christmas was, was, was not a romantic, it was no romantic little night that glowed with candlelight and was filled with softly sung songs. Nor was it a polished time filled with decorated trees and brightly wrapped gifts and beautiful family dinners. But if we'll look a little closer, we'll find that the first Christmas was anything but what we would consider to be the perfect Christmas. In fact, it was actually a time, a Christmas that was filled with lots and lots of trouble. And so today and over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the trouble with Christmas. That is, the troubles that are associated with the biblical Christmas story and how it was that God worked in the midst of all that trouble, even through all that trouble. 
And as we do, I want to encourage us this morning and challenge us to trust God with our lives, even when we're facing a world that's filled with trouble. And so let's take a look this morning at the trouble with Christmas. And our first message comes from Luke chapter 2. And I want to speak to us about Christmas in the midst of trouble. Christmas in the midst of trouble. And I'm reading this morning Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1 down through verse 7. And it says there, Luke writes to us, that in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them in the inn. May God bless his word to us this morning. You know, Luke chapter 2 here, these words I just read, seem to be one of those passages of Scripture that I'm afraid we've read so many times and with which we've become so familiar that we might say it's lost its punch. We read these verses as part of our annual Christmas readings with almost like a a sense of boredom in our voices because we know what's going to come next. And we kind of take for granted that there was this government-mandated census that Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem and that the baby was born and then laid in a manger, all to the point that there is nothing all that exciting about it all to us anymore. It's all so common-sounding. Again, as we read it, we know what's going to come. But if we would pause for a moment and dive a little deeper, I believe we would quickly be drawn out of our boredom For we would discover that these verses describe for us anything but a nice, cozy nativity scene. But rather, they describe for us a scene that's filled with all kinds of turmoil and trouble. For the words we've just read speak to us of the fact that Jesus was born into the midst of a world that was filled with great turmoil. They speak to us of the fact that Christmas came right in the midst of trouble. Notice, if you will, as, as Luke writes, and, and he's pointing us to the fact that Jesus was born into a world filled with all kinds of trouble. And Luke describes this for us when, when first of all, he speaks of a decree from Rome. And what's being described here is, is a time of great oppression for the Jewish people. For the fact that a foreign emperor could impose a census as Caesar Augustus did, it was a reminder to the people of who was in charge in their land. And so this was a time of great political oppression. The Jewish people were not a free people. Rome had come into their land and could demand whatever it wanted. And the people, they lived with a heavy hand upon them. This was as well a time of great political and social unrest. After all, no people likes to live under such oppression. And there will always be those who will lead an uprising. And thus the tension in Israel was high. At any moment, a rebellion could occur. Um, A a, a rebellion could, could break out. And when it did, a whole bunch of innocent people would usually receive the wrath of Rome. And in fact, 
In fact, the people were divided. The Jewish people were divided as to how to live under Roman law. Some, like the Sadducees and the tax collectors, thought it best, best to cooperate. Others, like the Zealots, were always looking for a chance to rebel. Most people were caught between the two. You see, when Luke writes, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken, we're reminded of the kind of world it was at the time of Jesus' birth, that it was a place of great trouble. And Luke goes on to write that, that everyone had to go to their own town to register. Now, this was not necessarily the place of their birth, but the place of their family lineage, where the family had originally come from. And in that time period, origins and family history was very important. And this meant that the whole nation was being turned upside down as people had to travel in every direction to get to their own town. I mean, can you imagine how this impacted people's lives? I mean, what about their businesses and farms? What about their children? What about the men who traveled, leaving wives and kids behind? Who would provide for them while dad was gone? Some may have been able to stay put or travel to the next town over, but others like Joseph had to travel from one end of the country to the other, usually on foot, and such travel was never easy. In fact, was quite difficult and often dangerous. And notice that we read here of how Joseph took pregnant Mary along with him on this journey. Now, many scholars say that he did so primarily because of the stigma that she faced back in Nazareth, being this young woman who was pregnant before having been married, and he couldn't leave her there by herself. But also, it seems like that most likely by this point, they, they were married, otherwise she couldn't have traveled with him. And yet, notice it said that they were betrothed and that's because they had not yet consummated their marriage, her being pregnant and all. In other words, let me just put it this way. It was all very complicated for Joseph and Mary, wasn't it? In fact, we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to look at that a little more closely next week. But in any case, if you will, can you imagine a pregnant woman so far along having to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, maybe on a donkey or maybe the whole way on foot? You see, the whole world into which Jesus was born, even the family into which Jesus was born, was complicated and filled with all kinds of trouble. And then we read, Luke writes of how the baby, after he was born, he was placed in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Verse 6 says that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Now, we don't know exactly how long it was between their arrival in Bethlehem and the exact time of Jesus' birth, but obviously it couldn't have been too long. And whenever it was, you see, something went wrong. They needed a place for the baby to be born away from the crowds, a place where they could have some privacy to give birth. And Luke notes that, that after the baby was born, he was placed in a manger, an animal's feeding trough. Why? Because there was no room for them in the inn, or even more literally, no room for them in the guest room. And that would have been a room in someone's house that was just filled with as many visitors as possible. Oh, you need a place here. You can take that corner. You take that corner with your family and so forth. So can you imagine for a moment what it was like for Joseph and Mary to know that the baby was about to be born? Mary's going into labor, but there's no room for them in the house, in the inn. There's no room there. Can you imagine the sense of panic as they tried to figure out what to do, where to go? Listen, we 
we panic. Our wives, come on, guys, our wives go into labor, and we panic just getting her in the car to get to the hospital. Right? Come on, am I right? But here they are. And somehow they get relegated to the barn, as it were. And it's there that the baby is born, not a pretty place to give birth to your first child. It's because they need, and because they needed to use whatever they had at hand, they wrap the baby in rags that they find there, and they lay him on the straw within the feeding trough from which the animals had just been eating. You see, the day or the night that Jesus was born was not, it was, it was no perfect, pretty setting. It was not a pretty scene. A long journey, no room in the inn. The promised one being born in in a dirty, messy stable, born among animals. It's a scene that's filled with all kinds of turmoil. Jesus being born into all kinds of trouble. But here's the thing we need to understand. That no amount of trouble could stop the birth of Jesus the Messiah. No amount of trouble could stop the plan of God. Can someone say amen? You see, no amount of political oppression or social unrest or unwanted circumstances could stop God's plan of redemption. For I, and listen, I'm sure that if we continue to dive into the historical context, we would find many more troubles to speak of. Economic difficulties, family divisions, injustices of all kinds, just to name a few. But nonetheless, Jesus was born. The Messiah came into our world. The incarnation took place into the midst of a tumultuous, trouble-filled world. The Savior of mankind came. The plan of God went forward. The prophecies were fulfilled. In fact, it seems that God even used the troubles of the day to bring about his plan to fulfill the prophecies that had been given. For when the nation was feeling like a stump, as Isaiah had written, we read about it this week in our devotional reading. But when, when, the, when the nation was feeling like a stump, the shoot, the branch, the Messiah came forth. The prophet Micah had written that the baby would be born in Bethlehem. And thus, when the Roman census went forth, whether whether or not they realized it, Joseph and Mary were forced to the town that was prophesied to be the place of Messiah's birth. And we could go on this morning. Even think about it. The baby being wrapped in rags and placed in a manger became a sign to the shepherds that this was the baby of whom the angel had spoken out there in that field that this was their Messiah. After all, how many new mothers were placing their newborns in in a feeding trough wrapped in rags? But that is what God used as a sign to the shepherds and those whom they would tell about this newborn Messiah, the one for whom they had been waiting Oh, I want to tell us this morning, no amount of trouble could stop the plan of God. That in spite of all the turmoil and trouble and even through it, as Paul wrote, in the fullness of time or at just the right time, we might say the Savior was born. The plan of God was fulfilled. Can you say amen? And so I'm reminded this morning that no amount of trouble will ever stop the plans and purposes of our God. It's a principle we find throughout Scripture. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 3311, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. 
The writer of Proverbs wrote in Proverbs 19, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevail. Amen. Oh, I think this morning of Joseph. Joseph of the Old Testament, sold as a slave by his brothers, eventually thrown into prison for a crime that he didn't commit. But one day, God's promises and plans for his life were fulfilled as he raised Joseph up to be second only to Pharaoh in the land. I think of Moses this morning, living on the backside of the desert as a fugitive, and yet it is there that God calls to him from a burning bush and raises up a deliverer for his people. I think of David running for his life from a jealous king gone mad, but even a mad king couldn't hinder God's plan that one day David would be made king and that his throne would become the eternal throne of the Messiah of God's people. And I think of Jesus this morning, that it was through the pain of the cross that the power of God was demonstrated as Jesus was raised from the dead, proving himself to be the son of God and savior of mankind. You see, from the beginning at the fall in Genesis 3, God put into motion a plan of redemption from mankind. God had a plan that one day a child would be born who would crush the serpent's head. Isaiah had spoken about it, that during a time of great darkness and distress and gloom, a child would be born who would be the one sent by God to fulfill the plan of God, as he wrote, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And then he says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In other words, no matter what would happen in time and history, God's plan for that child to be born would not and could not be stopped. And what we see throughout the scriptures, come on, you're quiet in the house here this morning. What we see throughout the scriptures is God working through the turmoil and troubles of our world to bring about the plans and the purposes of his heart. God's plan of redemption has always moved forward like a steady stream through the midst of all the turmoil and troubles of our world. Oh, at times the enemy has thought that he could bring God's plan to a halt, but he was wrong. At times, the nations and the peoples of this world thought that they could stop the work of God, but they were wrong. At times, the people of God themselves thought that the plans of God had been thwarted as they were overwhelmed by strong enemies who came against them, even carrying them off to exile, destroying their temple, destroying their lives. But listen, they were wrong for the plans and purposes of God stand firm and thus they will be fulfilled no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what happens in our world, no matter how much trouble may come upon us. Listen, church. For us today, in this hour, with all that's happening in our world, with all that might be happening in your life, this is a great word of hope for us. A great word of hope for us today. For we need to remember that no matter what happens in our world or in our lives, the plans of the Lord stand firm. For just as God ensured that Jesus our Messiah, Savior, and Lord will be born into this world at just the right time, in just the right way, so too God will ensure that his plan of redemption will continue to move forward today, that the church of Jesus Christ, that the church will be built, 
The gospel will be preached. The kingdom of God will grow and be established. And one day Jesus Christ will return in all of his splendor and glory. And God's people will be saved once and for all. And we could go on this morning. You see, the prophet Jeremiah, many of you know the words well from Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Listen, those words, if you read the context, those words are not just about you and I having a nice little future for ourselves and our family. You know, oh, God has good plans for me, so I'm going to have a good job and a, and a nice house and, you know, a beautiful wife or a great husband and food on the table. That's not what those words are about. But those words are about God's plans for his people as a whole and the incredible future he has in store for those who will live by faith. They speak to us of the plans and purposes of God's heart for his people throughout all of time. His plans and purposes for a kingdom that will never end. Listen, if you will give your life to him, if you will put your faith in Jesus and put your, your trust in God this morning, he has a plan for you. He's going to prosper you through his kingdom. He's going to give you hope and a future that goes far beyond the troubles of this world. And thus we can know today that no pandemic, no economic downturn, no amount of political unrest or social upheaval is able to stop the plans and purposes of God for his people, for our world, and for his kingdom. The plan of God, the plan of redemption will continue to move forward. Come on, amen? Amen. The plan of God will continue to move forward. And so I'm reminded today that that first Christmas was no easy time. It was nothing like the perfect little Christmas celebrations that so many of us picture in our minds or try to create for our families. But that first Christmas took place in the midst of, of all kinds of trouble. And you see, that's, that's kind of a good thing, I think. It's kind of encouraging to me today. It reminds me, it reminds us that we have a God who cannot be stopped by the troubles of this world. Now it speaks to us of the fact that no matter what troubles come into your life or mine, we serve a God who's able to work in and through all things. We serve a God who's able to take care of us as his people. We serve a God who will fulfill his promises to us. We serve a God whose plans for our lives, for, our church, for, 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 for his church, and, and for our world will be fulfilled. And so what ought we do? What can we do? So the best we can do is put our lives into his hands. Trust him with every situation that we might face. And believe that he will do what he has purposed in his heart today. Listen, the, the real joy of Christmas doesn't come by having the perfect Christmas tree in your home or lots of gifts under that tree or a nice family gathering. That's not where the real joy of Christmas is found. But the real joy of Christmas comes by knowing that even in the midst of the troubles of this world, our Savior has come. And he is still at work in the lives of his people today. The Christmas in the midst of trouble reminds us that we serve a God who works in the midst of all things. And so let's trust God with our lives.
Come on, church, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, let's not get caught up by, with, and discouraged by the things happening around us in our world. Let's, you know, the election went one way, and we didn't want it to go that way. We wanted to go this way or whatever. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, God, God's at work. He's going to fulfill the plans and purposes of his heart for our lives, for his church, for his kingdom, for our world. Let's trust God with our lives. And maybe you're here today, you're viewing this, this video, this live stream. You've not yet given your life to God through faith in Jesus. All I can do is invite you, encourage you, challenge you today to, to take a step of faith. Put your, put your life into his hands. Just trust him this morning as you put your faith in Jesus as the son of God, the one who died for your sins, the one who rose again, the one who's coming back in glory and splendor. And allow God to minister to you and work in your life. No matter how much trouble may come, we serve a God who's always with us and who will fulfill his plans and purposes for us. Will you bow your heads with me as, as we pray and the worship team is going to come? So, Lord, this morning we thank you. Oh, we thank you so much that you're a God in whom we can put our trust that you will be true to your word, never to leave us nor forsake us. That you are constantly at work in and through all things. You take the good things of our lives and you use them in a way that you see fit. And you take the difficult things of our lives and you use them in a way that you see fit. And you work all things together, as the Apostle Paul told us. You work all things together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. And we thank you that no matter what happens in our world, that your plan of redemption is moving forward. That the, that the kingdom of God, yes, it is, it is broken through into this world through Jesus Christ. It continues to move forward. And one day we will experience your kingdom in all of its power and glory. So today we receive hope. We reach out to you filled with faith, saying, God, we believe in you. We trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our families. We trust you with the church. We trust you in all things. Maybe for someone today, God, they receive that that bad word from the doctor. God, that you build faith in their heart today to trust you. Someone who's having conflict in their home, maybe someone who's lost their job, and God, others that, that maybe just sensing this is not the kind of Christmas they, they would want it to be. But I pray, I pray that today they would see Jesus high and lifted up. That they would recognize there's a God in heaven who's in control of all things and that the plans and purposes of his heart, they stand firm. We thank you for your love. We thank you that nothing, nothing can separate us from your love. No amount of difficulty or trouble. But you are with us as your people in and through all things and your purposes will prevail. We thank you, Lord. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We just stand together, church.